0: as a human vessel to be able to preach your word, Lord, I pray you'd give me the words to say, and Lord, I pray you'd help us to be able to learn from this passage, Lord, help us to be uh, not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word, and Lord, we ask that you'd please uh, bless this time, in your precious name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, well we find ourselves there in the book of Judges, Judges chapter number 2, last week we started preaching through the book of Judges. We finished up the book of Joshua, went straight into the book of Judges, and we talked about it last week, that uh, we're still in the introductory stages of the book of Judges. Chapter number 1 and chapter number (coughs) 2 serve as the introduction... For the book of Judges. After tonight, uh, starting next week, we'll get into Judges chapter 3, and we'll begin to actually deal with the different ministries of the 12 different judges that are, uh, talked about, uh, 13 judges, if you count Morocco, I guess, but, um, the, 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 the different judges here that, um that are talked about in the book of Judges there. And, and just just real quickly to review, if I, remember I told you the, the first two chapters are the introduction, right? Chapter 1, remember that was setting the stage for the book of Judges. Chapter 1 is there to explain to us why God gave them Judges, You know, the, to explain to us the context of the book of Judges, to, to explain to us the setting of the book of Judges. If you, if you go back to chapter 1 just real quickly, look at verse number 21. Real quickly, the Bible says, Judges chapter 1, verse 21, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. That was their problem. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited uh, Jerusalem. Their job was to conquer the land and to drive out the enemy, but they failed to do so. And chapter 2 makes that very clear, that time and time and time again, they failed to do what God had told them to do. Look at verse 27 same chapter, Judges one twenty-seven. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Teinach and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Iblam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Look at verse 28. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute but did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. Look at verse 30. Neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Neither the inhabitants of Nahalol. Look at verse 31. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Aulab, nor of Axib, nor of Hilvah, nor of Aphek, nor of Rehob. Um, Look at verse 33. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of uh, Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites. That was the problem. God told them to drive out the people, and they did not drive out the people. Therefore, they now had this land that God had promised them, but it was not what God's will was for them. God wanted them to live in the land, to conquer the land, to have the land for themselves, to walking it with God but now they were living in the land with a bunch of heathen living in it because they did not utterly drive out the enemy that's the setting of the book of Con- uh, of the book of judges that's the the the, the plot uh, of the story there judges chapter number two then also in an introductory way gives us the message of the book of judges Chapter 1 gives us the setting of the book of Judges. Chapter 2 gives us the message of the book of Judges. Because as we go through the book of Judges, chapter 2 really serves as an overview of what we're going to learn from the book of Judges. Now, we're not just going to learn this, obviously, as we go through all the stories of the different Judges. There'll be a lot of spiritual application there. But it gives us the overall message of the book of Judges. And let's go ahead and begin and get into that chapter tonight. Number one, I'd like you to see in this passage, you see the rebuked congregation. You see the rebuked congregation. Look at verse number one of chapter number two. The Bible says, and an angel of the Lord. Now, uh, you know, this is... this is up for debate. People like to debate about this, theologians and stuff like that. But sometimes in the Bible, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, will refer to the angel of the Lord, and that'll actually be a reference to it's an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not every time, uh, I don't think every time you may be able to say that it is that, but oftentimes it is. You say, How can you prove that? Look at verse 1 again. And an angel of the Lord, all right? So you'd say, Well, that's an angel. Yeah, but look what it says. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim him and said... Now notice what the angel of the Lord says. I made you to go up out of Egypt. Do you see that? That's something that God did. Alright? So the angel is speaking here, but we can ascertain from this that it is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I made you to go out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said... I will never break my covenant with you. You've got to remember that the children of Israel made a covenant with God. The word covenant means a formal binding agreement. It is uh, not exactly, but a close thing that you and I would maybe uh, consider similar would be a contract. It's when you make a deal, you bind yourself into an agreement. Now, the children of Israel made a contract with God. And oftentimes, that contract is renewed throughout the Old Testament between God and His people. If you remember when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the first thing they did was went to the Mount of God. Remember, Moses went up to the mountain. He received the words of God. He got the Ten Commandments, all and then And then they actually verbally heard the words of God there and they made a contract with God. If you remember, keep your finger there in Judges chapter 2. Go back to Joshua chapter number 24 We talked about this when we were in Joshua 24. But if you remember, in Joshua 24, they renewed that covenant. And you find them renewing that covenant. They they renewed it uh, a couple times in the book of Joshua. Let me show you one of them. Joshua chapter 24, look at verse number 15. Joshua 24, verse 15. Do you remember that Joshua, as he was leaving the scene, he said to them, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. He said, Look, you got a choice. Serve who you want to serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Joshua says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, At my place, it's not a, an option. At my place, we're not, I'm not giving it, and by the way. That's good parenting. You don't make it your child's choice Whether they want to go to church You don't make, you know I talked to so many friends Well, my kids will go to church if they want to you know, Do you ask your kids if they want to go to school? Do you ask your kids if they want to brush their teeth? You know, oh, I make them brush my teeth I'm, the brush teeth. I'm a good man Well, you got to make them serve God While they're living under your house Amen so that's what Joshua said. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now notice, here's the contract. He said, hey, you got a choice. What do you want to do? Look at verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other God. So they just put themselves in a binding covenant with God. God said, you got a choice. Who do you want to serve? And they said, we will serve God. Okay? That covenant was renewed with God's people Throughout their history. You say, why did they want to serve God? Verse 17... Remember the reference back to Moses. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up out of our fathers, out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way when we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, He says, because God brought us out of Egypt, because God drave out the inhabitants of land, they said, therefore, now you got to understand this, okay? We're not, it's not just review that we're doing here. you got to understand this. They made a covenant with God. They went into an agreement with God. Here was the agreement. God's part was this. I will bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you out of bondage. And I will give you a land of promise. That's God's part. Look at verse 18. Therefore, this is the children's part. Will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God? You see that? So here's the contract, here's the agreement, here's the covenant. God says, I'll bring you out of bondage, and I'll give you a land, and I'll I'll help you conquer that land, and then your part of the contract is this, you're going to serve me. And they agreed to that. Go back to Judges chapter 2. Notice the rebuke that comes from the Lord. Look at verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bokim and said, Notice what he says, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. Is that what he said he was going to do? He said, I would bring you out of Egypt. He said, I would give you the land. Now he's saying, I did my part. Notice, notice what he says. I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, notice what he says, I will never break my covenant with you. Do you see that? Here's what God is saying to the people. He's saying, we made a deal and I did my part. He said, we made a deal. You agreed that if I brought you out of Egypt, you agreed that if I gave you a land, nation, you would be my people. He said, I will never break my covenant with you. He said, I'm not going to go sour on my part of the contract, too, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants. This was part of the contract of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but here's the rebuke. But ye have not obeyed my voice. So here's what God is saying to them. He's saying, we had a deal. If I brought you out of Egypt and I gave you an inheritance, You're supposed to serve me. He said, I did my part of the deal, but you have not done your part of the deal. He said, I held up my part of the contract, but you did not honor your part of the contract. Do you understand the the dialogue that God is having with these people? You say, well, how does this apply to us today? Well, here's what you've got to understand, whether you understood it or not. When you got saved, you entered a covenant with God as well. Say, what are you talking about? Keep your finger there in Judges chapter 2. Go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number ten. See, most people say, "Well, well, I just I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell." And by the way, that's a good reason to get saved. That's why I got saved. But whether you understand it or not, are you go to Hebrews chapter number ten? Hebrews chapter number ten. Look at verse number twenty-nine. Hebrews chapter number ten, verse twenty-nine. I want you to see this. Hebrews ten twenty-nine. The Bible says of how much sorer punishment. Well, look at verse twenty-eight. So you can get a little bit of the context. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye that he that though were that thought worthy, who have trodden under foot the Son of God and have counted—I want you to make note of this phrase—the blood of the covenant wherewith He was sanctified, an unholy thing He had done despite unto the Spirit of God, uh, grace. Now, I'm not preaching about this verse, because this verse is talking about something else, but I want you to see this phrase, the blood of the covenant. Do you see that? That's the contract. The contract was, we, we, we made a deal over the blood. You say, what blood? Go to Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse 20. Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 20. Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now, the God of peace, just turn over a few pages, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Hebrews 13, 20. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood, you see that, of the everlasting covenant. So, we've got a covenant and the covenant, you said, did somebody signs for the covenant? Yes, it was signed with the blood of Jesus Christ. There was no ink there. The ink that was used was the blood. You say, what, what is that exactly? Take your Bibles, go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 5. You're there in Hebrews. Just tour, turn a few pages towards the end of the Bible there. Revelation chapter number 5. Look at verse 9. I want you to see this and understand it. Revelation chapter number 5. Look at verse number 9. Revelation 5.9. And they sung a new song. Saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain. They're talking to Jesus Christ, by the way. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. The word "redeem" means He purchased us. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So see, the Bible says that God redeemed us. God purchased us. How did He do that? Through His blood. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. Towards the beginning there of your New Testament... You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you've got the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 20. Look at verse number 28. Acts chapter number 20. Look at verse number 28. Acts twenty twenty-eight. The Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseer, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own what? Blood. Blood. you see that? The church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. Go to the book of Corinthians. You got there, Acts. Then right after the book of Acts, you got the book of Romans. Right after the book of Romans, you got the book of First Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. Here's what you got to understand. God made a covenant, a contract, with the children of Israel. He said, if I bring you out of Egypt, if I deliver you out of bondage, and I give you an inheritance, I give you a promised land, he said, I will do my part, your part, is that you're supposed to serve me. Now you gotta understand this. Whether they kept their part or not, God said, you remember Judges chapter 2, I will break my covenant with you. okay? So whether they did what they were supposed to do or not, God wasn't going to break his part of the deal. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the same way, do you remember when we were studying through the book of Exodus and through the book of Joshua? What have we said throughout the entire Old Testament? The the nation of Egypt always represents what? The world. And they were in bondage to the world. They were in bondage to sin. And God delivered them. And by the way, the same thing, same way, you and I were in bondage to the world. We were in bondage to sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and He died on the cross. And He purchased our salvation. He purchased, He redeemed us by His blood. He delivered us out of bondage. He has given us victory. You say, can I have victory in my life? You, you already have it. The Bible says God has already given it to you. Amen. We have that blessed hope. We have the, our home in heaven. And here's what you got to understand. When you got saved, you entered into a contract, into a covenant. God said, I'll deliver you from your bondage. I'll give you an inheritance. But you've got a part too. What's that part? You're supposed to serve Him. Amen. Now some people say, you've got to serve God to go to heaven. It's work salvation. Now is that true? Because God said What? I won't break my covenant even if you break yours. So even if you don't serve him, you'll still bring you out of Egypt. You understand that? But you you entered a contract. Are you there in First Corinthians chapter number six? Look at verse nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? First Corinthians chapter number six, verse nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own. Why? Verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. What was that price? The blood of Jesus Christ. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, because God kept His part of the deal, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is not your own. Your spirit is not your own. You are bought with a price. You belong to we entered a contract. You said that if I saved you from your bondage, if I saved you from hell, if I saved you, if I delivered you, you would serve me. And God says, I expect you to keep your covenant. Amen. The, ju- the, the, the setting of the book of Judges is that God rebukes the congregation because He said, I did my part, but now you're flaking on your part. And in the same way, God looks at you and I today and says, Man, I've done my part. Why are you now flaking on this covenant that we made? Why are you now not serving me? Why do you now think your body belongs to you? Why do you now think that you get to decide what you're going to do with your body or with your life or with your finances or with whatever you think that belongs to you? God says, Everything about you belongs to me. I purchased you. He said, And I expect you to fulfill your part of the deal. See, we see number one, The rebuked congregation. But number two, I want you to see... Go back to Judges chapter 2, please. Judges chapter number 2. We see number one, the rebuked congregation. But number two, I want you to see the repetitious cycle. And this is really the message of the book of Judges. The repetitious cycle. You say, what are you talking about? There is a thin cycle of the children of Israel. I want you to see it. You're there in Judges chapter number 2. Look at verse number 11. Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. So, remember, who were they supposed to serve? God. Who did they say they were going to serve? Remember? Joshua said, choose you this day. And they said, God forbid that we would forsake the Lord. They said, we'll we'll never forsake the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. We'll sign our part of the contract. But then the Bible says, Judges 2.11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served, not the Lord, they served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers. So who did they serve? Balaam. Who did they forsake? God, the Lord, God of their fathers. Which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook, make note of those words, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. These are false gods. And by the way, let me just, uh, something interesting about... Because you know, you're going to see this throughout the entire Old Testament. Baal is the name of a very famous God in the Bible. If you remember remember uh, Elijah, he, when, when, when he prayed for the fire to come down, he was in a contest with the prophets of Baal. Okay, you got to understand, Baal is Satan worship. The word Baal is actually just a generic word for the word God. But it's not the God of the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, like uh, the Muslims use the word Allah... And the word Allah is, is God to them. okay? But we would not say, we would not pray to Allah. That's not the God of the Bible. Well, Baal is a word that was used for just a generic heathen word for different gods. And just so you understand, look at verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil on the sight of the Lord and served Baal-im. You see that, that, that little phrase there, im at the end? Baal-im makes it a plural. So it's talking about the fact that they're worship, worshiping multiple gods. Baal is one false god. Balaam is multiple false gods. If you, if you remember, um, that's, just, that's just the way the King James Bible is written. If you remember, uh, if, if you've ever studied like different uh, types of angels and angelic beings in the Bible, who's ever heard of a cherub? You know what a cherub is? Okay, a cherub is singular. But a cherubim... Is multiple chair rubs. You understand that? You'll never hear of chair rubs you know, in the plural, God will just call them cherubims, because that I am is a plural, so when it says that they served Baalim, they're talking about the fact that they served multiple gods alright, and when you get down to verse 13 and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth, Ashtaroth is another uh, false god there, look at verse 14 and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Verse 15. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as He had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. Okay, so here's what you got to understand. There is a cycle in the book of Judges. You say, what is that cycle? Number one, the people depart from God. Look at verse 12 again. And they forsook the Lord. Who left who? They left God. Uh, skip down to verse 13. And they forsook the Lord. Who left who? They left God. So they depart from God. What does God do? God gets angry. What does He do? He puts the people in distress. Look at verse 13. 14. Remember verse 13? They forsook the Lord. So what happens in verse 14? And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them. It wasn't with them, it was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as, they, uh, as the Lord had had sworn unto them, look at the last part of verse 15, and they were greatly distressed. you see that? So here's the pattern. They depart from the Lord. The Lord distresses them. Then what happens? They cry out to God because they they don't want to be distressed. They don't want to be attacked. They repent. They cry out to God. What does God do? God delivers them. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up Judges. That's what we're going to be studying, the judges that God that God raised up to deliver them. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Now, here's what you got to understand: if this was a one time event. We would not have the book of Judges, we would have the book of the Judge, okay? But we have the book of Judges, because this was not a one-time event. This was a continuous cycle. Twelve different times they rebelled, and twelve different Judges, twelve different times they departed from God, twelve different times God distressed them, twelve different times they cried out to God, twelve different times God delivered them, what's the next step? Look at verse 17. See, step one was what? Well, what was what? They departed. Step two was what? God distressed them. Step three was what? God delivered them. Step four? Repeat steps one through three. That's what they kept doing. Look at verse 17. And yet, okay, so in verse 16, He delivered them, right? Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hands of those who spoiled them. Verse 17. And yet, they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods. Does that remind you of the book of Hosea? They went a whoring after the gods, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandment of the Lord. But they did not so. And when the Lord raised up judges, then the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord. Because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead. Notice what it says. It came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways. So here's what happened they departed from God. God oppressed them, God distressed them. Groanings, he, he heard them, uh, you know, uh, their groanings, and, and as they cried out because of the oppression, then God would raise up a judge to deliver them. He would deliver the people. They would have a short amount of time of peace, but then the judge would die. And the people would just go back to their sin. It's a sin cycle. It's a cycle of their sin. See, God is explaining to us What we're going to read in the rest of the book. Let me give you a few examples of the rest of the book. Look at Judges chapter number 3. Look at verse number 7. Judges chapter 3 verse 7. I want you to see this. Judges chapter 3 verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Do you say that? And forgat the Lord their God. They departed. And served Balaam and the groves. Therefore, because they forgot, because they served Balaam, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of Chushan rith King of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan with Am eight years. So they were in bondage for eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer uh, to the children of Israel, who delivered them even Atnio, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and He judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered... <coughs> Excuse me... <coughs> chushan rish Tha, Im, king of Mesopotamia into his hand and his hand prevailed against chushan rish Tha, man I have to keep saying that name over and over <laughs> do you see the pattern? they forgot the Lord God brought distress they cried out to God God raised a deliverer. in this case the first judge the first judge, Othniel they have peace then what happens? look at verse 11 And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. What's going to happen next? Look at verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Do you see that? And the Lord strengthened Eglon the king of Moab. Here comes the distress against Israel. Because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek. And went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. Verse 14. He distressed them. What did they do? So the children of Israel served Eglon the king of Moab 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. The Lord raised "...them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present to Eglon, the king of Moab." We're not going to get into the story, we'll study that as we go through the Judges, but I want you to see, you see the same pattern. They forget God, God brings distress, they cry out to God, God brings a deliverer, the deliverer dies, they go back to their sin, they forget God, God brings distress, they cry out to God, God brings a deliverer, they have peace... The deliverer dies, they go back to their sin, go to Joshua chapter 4, look at verse 1. Does that sound familiar? And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So what happened when Ehud the judge died? They went back to their sin. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan and reigned in Hazor. The captain of whose host was Sisera which dwelt in Harosheth of the Gentiles and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord for he had 900 chariots of iron and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel and Deborah, a prophetess the wife of Lappidoth, she judged Israel at that So you see there again, they deliver or dies, they go back to their sin, God brings distress, they cry out to God... God brings a deliverer. Before you start asking me about women preachers, be here when we go through Judges chapter 4. I'll prove to you that that was not God's will for them to have a prophetess as a woman. It's very clear in the context. I don't have time to go there now. Just trying to throw something in to offend you before we even get there. Go to Judges chapter number 6. Look at verse 1. Judges chapter number 6. Look at verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian Prevailed against Israelites because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel made them the dens which were in the mountains, and the caves, and the strong holds. Go to Judges chapter number 10, look at verse 6. Judges chapter number 10, look at verse number 6. Judges 10, verse 6, the Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtoreth, and the gods of Zeria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord and served not Him. So what happened? Verse 7, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. Go to Judges chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Judges 13 verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. Are you seeing the pattern here? What's the pattern? They depart from God. What's the pattern? God brings distress. What's the pattern? They cry out to God. What's the pattern? God brings deliverance. What's the pattern? They're right with God for a while. Then what happens? They forsake God and they do it all again. Over and over and over again. Go to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. What's the spiritual application? Here's the spiritual application. I just described to you the life of the average Christian. I just described to you the life of the average Christian. You know how most Christians live their lives? The same way the children of Israel lived their lives. I'm on fire for God. I'm right with God. I got to church, man. I'm in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm out so many. I'm reading nine chapters of Hey. i I'm just on fire, man. I've never been so on fire as I am now with God. Time goes by. They forget about God. All of a sudden, not really a Wednesday night Bible study anymore. All of a sudden, eh, Sunday night go to church twice but all of a sudden they're, they're hidden, missing all of a sudden they're not soul winning anymore all of a sudden they're not reading their bible anymore all of a sudden they're not as on fire as they were. They begin to forget God and you know what happens when you forget God you will always serve other God because right. you will you will serve someone That's right. you say well I'm not going to serve anyone you will serve someone even if it's yourself you know that you can be a God unto yourself That's right. and we get on fire for God but eventually you begin to forget God so what does God do he brings distress maybe it's a health issue Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you lose a loved one. May God does something to oppress you. Why? Because then you cry out to God. You say, oh God! And God delivers you from that. And then you're right with God. I'm right with God. I'm back, in, hey, I'm back in church. in the next. place Amen, amen. I'm reading my podcast. first love, like the Bible says in the book of Revelation, eventually you begin to forget God, you begin to get cold, you begin to not soul winning as much as you used to, you're not reading your Bible as much as you used to, you're not giving like you used to, you're not serving like you used to, it's not as important, you're serving other gods, that God may be your job, that God may be your family, that God may be the television, that God may be Sunday night football, that God, whatever it is, you're serving some other God, what does God have to do? He brings a stress. He brings a problem. He makes you uncomfortable. And what do you do? You remember God. Man, i got to get back to church. This is the life of the African... If you were honest and you look back in your Christian life, you would realize that there are seasons in our lives where we are on fire, and then we get cold, and then God brings us some distress. He gets our attention. And we get back on fire, and then we get cold, and then God brings us back, and this is the life of the Christian. The average Christian lives this life of going back. Are you there in Proverbs chapter 26? Look at verse 11. Proverbs 26 verse 11. Proverbs chapter 26 verse number 11. The Bible says, this is, unfortunately this describes the average Christian. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. you know that dogs eat their own vomit? Who knew that? A dog will throw up and then eat that. I mean, dogs eat their own other stuff that comes out of their other side of their body. You understand what I'm saying? Dogs eat anything. And God uses that... Isn't the King James Bible beautiful? God uses that beautiful illustration. He says, in the same way that a dog will go back to his vomit, he says, he, he, God says, that's what my people do with their staff. He said, I, I bring them out of Egypt. He said, I bring them out of that filth. He said, I bring them out of that sin. And they're on fire for a while, but eventually they go back to those old gods. They go back to that old bondage. Isn't that interesting? Look, I mean, look at what it says. 26.11. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth it to his folly. God liked that so much, He had to say it two times in the Bible. Go to 2 Peter. Let me show you a second time. In and, 2 and Peter, he, gets a, he, he gives us additional uh, illustrations. Second 2 Peter. Chapter number 2. 2 Peter in the New Testament. Chapter number 2. Look at verse 22. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 22. Second Peter chapter number 2. Verse 22. 2 Peter 2 22. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, so that's a reference back to the book of Proverbs, the dog is turned to his vomit. To his own vomit, again. And the soul, talking about a pig, that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Do you know what the mire is? Oh, it's mud. It's more than mud. It's where they use the bathroom. The Bible says, my people are like a pig that have been taken out of their own, you know what? And I've cleaned them up, but they choose to go back to that. He says, my people are like a dog that has vomited the, 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 what has made it sick. It's vomited that stuff that their the, the, the stomach cannot digest. It threw it up and then it will go back to that thing that once hurt it. And it will lick it up. He said, that's what you and I do with our sin. That's the message of the book of Judges. He so said, what's the book of Judges? God made a covenant. And we've broken that covenant. And because of that, we're in a sin cycle. And if you're honest with yourself, you would see that cycle in your own life. Because we've all done it. We all get on fire for God. Then we get a little cold. God gets our attention. We get on fire with God. Then we get a little cold. God gets our attention. That's why it's been Christianity since the start of time. Go to the book of Revelation. Go to the book. You say, is it just me? No, it's everybody. Revelation chapter. That's not to excuse it, but I'm just saying, you got to understand. The average Christian lives this type of life. Up and down, up and down, right and wrong, right and wrong. Are you there in Revelation chapter number two? This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Look what he says. Revelation chapter number two verse number, well let's begin reading verse number 2 so you can get, well let's read verse 1 so you can, I want you to get the context and unto and unto the angel of the church of Ephesus so this is a church he's speaking to write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden capsules notice what he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and thou, how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles or are not, and hast found them liars and hast borne, hey weren't we talking about that this morning? that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens so these people they did a lot of good things for God and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted he says hey you've done a lot hey you've been on fire hey you've done a lot for me but notice what he says verse 4 nevertheless I have someone against thee he says I got you know he's like I'm glad for everything you're doing but I've got an issue with you what's that issue because thou hast left thy first love remember when you first got saved remember when you first got right with God Remember, the first time you read your Bible, how on fire you were. You say, man, I wish I could go back to that. If you're not back to that, you're in the sin cycle. That's what the Bible says. Look at verse 5. What are we supposed to do? Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. You say, what do we do? Get back to that love. What do we do? Get back to how it used to be. Remember how it used to be, and get back to that. Repent of your sin, and get back to it. He said, and do the first works. See, the book of Judges it's really a book of the life of you and I. If you would, go back to Judges chapter number 2. The book of Judges illustrates for us that God made a covenant that we've broken. The book of Judges illustrates for us that there is a sin cycle that you and I are on. We are on a merry go round of sin. And you gotta figure out how to get off that thing or you're just gonna spend the rest of your life just going in circles, going in circles. How much time did these people spend in bondage? Eight years, 40 years just wasted so much time because they could not get off the sin merry-go-round. Say so what's the what's the next thing? Well, we said number 1, we saw the rebuke congregation. We said number 2, we saw the repeated cycle. Number 3, I want you to see the resulting circumstances See, there's, there, there's something that happens. See, God does not just let you and I continue to go round and round in sin, like if it's some sort of a game, and just see whether you like it or not, God owns you. God has rights to you. And God's going to make sure His will is done in your life, whether you like it or not. Amen. So there are circumstances. There's a result to the repeating cycle. What's that result? Look at verse 20. Judges chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Now notice what he said, because that this people have transgressed my covenant. He says, Because these people will not keep up their end of the bargain, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Now here's what you understand. When they went into the land, God said, you can conquer anyone. But now God says, I will not allow you to conquer these people. God said, you broke the contract, not me. So since you broke the contract, we're going to do a new deal. Here's the deal. These people that you wanted to keep around, now you'll never be able to get rid of them. By the way, that's what sin is. It's fun to just play with sin. Because you can control it, but one day that sin will control you. And you'll want to get rid of it, you won't be able to. You'll want to get rid of that bondage, you won't be able to. God says, I refuse to let you go. Look at verse 22. Why? That through them, who? The people that they refused to to remove. That through them, look what it says, I may prove Israel. God said, I'm going to use that bondage to prove you whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it or not. Notice verse 23. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered He them into the hand of Joshua. You say, what's going on? Here's what you got to understand, okay? God realized something after a while. He realized the only way I can get these people to serve me is to keep them under oppression. So He says, therefore... I will keep them under oppression. He says, you won't be able to drive them out? He said, these people will constantly... I like how it's worded in verse number 3. Look at verse 3. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Judges chapter 2, verse 3. Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as... Have you ever heard this phrase before? Thorns in your side? Ah, that's such a thorn in my side. God said, these people are going to be a thorn in your side. By the way, that phrase came from the Bible. You hear worldly people using that phrase. You tell them, hey, it's good to hear you quote the Bible. Because that's what came from the Word of God. (laughs) A thorn in your side. Look what it says. And their gods shall be a snare. The word snare means a trap unto you. See, God said, I'm going to keep a thorn in your side. He said, I'm going to keep you under bondage. He said, I'm going to keep you under oppression. I'm going to keep you uh, uncomfortable because that's the only way I can get you to serve me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're finishing up this point. We got the conclusion. Then we can get to the cake and ice cream. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You say, Pastor, this is not a very positive sermon. The positive sermon was this morning. You get one a month. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 7. See, you got to understand this. Being in a place where God has to keep you in bondage to keep you right with Him, that's not a good place to be in. Do you understand what I'm saying? If God has to keep you unemployed... To keep you right with him, or if God has to keep you struggling financially to keep you right with him, because that's the only way he can get you to serve him, because if he gives you money, you'll go crazy like the prodigal son, that's not a good place to be in. If God has to keep you sick to keep you right, by the way, he will keep you sick to keep you right. He will keep you broke to keep you right. He will keep your life, you know, my marriage is falling apart. If that's what it takes to keep you right, God will just leave it that way. God doesn't care. God will do whatever He needs to do to make sure you fulfill your side of the contract. Do you understand that? You say, I don't think that's true. Oh, really? Let me show it to you in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You ever heard of a man named Paul? Now look, I mean no disrespect to Paul. Paul is a great man. I look forward to meeting Paul one day. Paul is a great man of God. But look at what Paul himself said. Second Corinthians 12 chapter 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure. Talking about his pride. He said, said, unless I should get filled with pride. Why? Through the abundance of the revelation. See, do you understand that Paul was used of God to write most of the New Testament? Paul said, God used me so mightily that I I could have let that go to my head. God used me so much to write so much scripture to do so much. He said, I could have let that go to my head. He said, so instead of God allowing me to be uh, exalted above measure through the abundance, of the revelation there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Does that sound familiar to you? Paul says, God kept me under oppression. God gave me a thorn in the side. He gave me a thorn in the flesh. What was that thorn? The messenger of Satan to buffet me last, unless I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice... He said, I went to God three times over this thorn in the flesh... That I might de- that he might depart from me... Three different times, Paul went to God... And said, God, would you see fit to remove this thorn in the flesh? And three different times, God said, no... Look at verse 9... And he said unto me... My grace is sufficient for thee... God said, no... I'm not going to remove... Now look, I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing Paul... I understand that... With all due respect to Paul... But God must have known something that we don't know. And when God said, God, would you remove this thorn in the flesh? God must have known, Well, here's the thing, Paul. If I remove that thorn in the flesh, you might get a little pride filled. You might stop serving me. You might not. And I want you to do what you said you would do. I want you to fulfill your side of the contract. So if I have to keep a thorn in the flesh, I'll keep a thorn in the flesh. If it means that I can get you to do what I want you to do. And in your life and in my life, if God has to keep us sick, if God has to keep us broke, if God has to keep us from our lives f- constantly be falling apart, God says, I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure you serve me, because you belong to me. Look at verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now Paul had a good attitude. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul. Paul said, "I would rather be sick and have the power of God than to be healthy and not right with God." Paul said, "I'd rather be sick." Amen. Paul said, "I'd rather be broke and be right with God than have a lot of money but not serve God." Paul said, "I'd rather have the affliction. I'd rather have the pain." Hey, that's a good attitude to have. But let me tell you something. I, I, Pastor Jimenez, you know that I, that I, as I, I've been, you know, a Christian. My. Mostly my entire life. And I, you know that, it's funny that a lot of pastors that are used mildly of God are very sickly people. Say, why? Because maybe that's what God has to do to keep them doing what they're doing. I'm not bad-mouthing them, I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I, Pastor Jimenez, would rather be sick, or broke, or disabled, or, or, or in distress, or in oppression, and have God use me than have a good life and, and not have God use me. But you know what I'd rather have? than that? Amen. You know what I'd rather have more than that? Is to be healthy and God trust me. Amen, Pastor. I'd rather God be able to trust me with money. I'd rather God be able to trust me. Now look, if God has to take things away from me, that's fine too. But I'd rather just be able to serve God and God say, well no, I can trust him. He's fine. Remember what God said about Abraham? He said I know him. I know that he will serve me. That's what Amen. God said about Abraham. Amen. Hey, I'd rather be that guy. Amen. I'd rather God say, I can trust him. Now, if God can't trust you, that's okay. You glory in that infirmity, you can still be an Apostle Paul. Amen. But the result of the circumstances of our sin cycle is that if God has to keep a thorn in your flesh, He will put a thorn in your flesh. Go back to Judges chapter number 2. We saw the message of the book of Judges. Next week we'll start getting specifically into the different Judges. But the message was this: a rebuked congregation. The message was this: a repeated cycle. The message was this: a resulting circumstances. Now, I just want to give you, just real quickly, as we close, just a few thoughts as to who's to blame for this whole thing. Are you there, in Joshua? Uh, I'm sorry, in Judges chapter two. Look at verse seven. Look at verse six. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went, every man unto his inheritance, to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun the servant of the Lord died being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him on the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres in the mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Now notice what it says. And there arose another generation after them. So Joshua dies. All the leaders, the elders that were with Joshua died. That entire generation died. And there arose another generation after them. But notice what it says about this generation. Which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. There was a generation of Israelites who were born and grew up. And they never heard the story of Moses parting the Red Sea. They never heard the story of the of the ten plagues of Israel. They knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done in Israel. Do you see that? They never heard of Moses. They never heard of Joshua. They never heard of Jericho. They never heard of Ai. They, hadn't, they didn't hear about Abraham. They didn't know Isaac was. They didn't know any of those stories. They didn't know about God. Whose fault was that? Mom and Dad. Because they... Had a generation. They raised up a generation. But they never passed down their faith to them. Look what it says. Verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them. Which knew not the Lord. Nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And served Balaam. Why did they do evil? Because they did not know the Lord. What to God that at Verity Baptist Church we would raise a generation of young people that would know God? Amen. Amen Pastor. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. Let me tell you something. Most people have this idea in their head. If I can just get my kids to where they're 18 years old and they can legally move out, then that will be great. Let me tell you something. You are going to ruin your children if you don't realize that you have an obligation to make sure that you... Give to them a foundation of the truth of God. Amen, Pastor. Say, Pastor Jimenez, how how is it that you and, and your wife can come here and, and pastor a church? You think I came up with this stuff? I was taught this stuff as a child. Amen. And I'll teach it to my kids. Amen. But we all need to do this. We all need to pass down that generation. We all need to pass down the truth. We all and by the way, it's not just to our children, it's to our spiritual children too. We need to make sure they know about God. We need to make sure they know these stories. We need to make sure they know these applications. Why? Because if they that know not history are doomed to repeat it again. That's right. And if you if people don't realize, hey, you know, somebody should have, you, you think by the sixth judge, somebody said, you know, we've already done this before. Remember, remember Osniel? Remember Ehud? Remember, remember all these guys? You know, by the time they get to Samson, they should have been like, hey, I think, I think somebody told me that this has already happened. But see, nobody told them that. That's a problem. There was a result. But it came because of the lack of training to the next generation. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. Lord, I know that this sermon maybe is not as encouraging of a sermon. But we need to understand that there is a sin cycle. There is a cycle of sin that the devil would love to keep us running in circles. Losing time, losing territory. I wonder if the reason that these people were not able to raise their children right is because they were busy serving other gods. Because they were in bondage. Father, I pray you'd help us to realize (laughs) that we can get off that sin merry-go-round We can serve You. We can decide, I'm going to go back to my first love. I'm going to serve God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to stop doing this up and down, up and down, uh, depart, distress, deliverance. I'm just going to serve God for the rest of my life. Father, help us to realize that even if You've got to keep a thorn in our side, help us to glory in that thorn and say, Hey, that's what's keeping me right with God. But Lord, even better than that, help us to serve You without having to keep us humbled. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.